Lord Jesus, we can easily sing songs that you are so big and so mighty and so great. But the words don't always reach our hearts. We pray that they will tonight and that we might understand uh, the enormity of your goodness and greatness as we study the Bible and Exodus chapter 8. And we pray for your help in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Page 50, Exodus chapter 8. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will plague all your country with frogs. The Nile shall swarm with frogs that shall come up into your house and into your bedroom and on your bed and into the houses of your servants and your people and into your ovens and your kneading bowls. The frogs shall come up on you and on your people and all your servants. And the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your hand with your staff over the rivers, over the canals, over the pools and make frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. Oh, but the magicians did the same by their secret arts and made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Plead with the Lord to take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, Be pleased to command me when I am to plead for you and your servants and for your people that the frogs be cut off from you and your houses and be left only in the Nile. And he said, Tomorrow. Moses said, Be it as you say, so that you may know there is no one like the Lord our God. The frogs shall go away from you and your houses and your servants and your people. They shall be left only in the Nile. So Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh and Moses cried to the Lord about the frogs as he had agreed with Pharaoh and the Lord did according to the word of Moses. The frogs died out in the houses, the courtyards and the fields and they gathered together, uh, gathered them together in heaps and the land stank. But when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite he hardened his heart and would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth, so that it may become gnats in all the land of Egypt. And they did so. Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the earth, and there were gnats on man and beast. All the dust of the earth became gnats in all the land of Egypt. And 
magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. So there were gnats on man and beast. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them. As the Lord had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself to Pharaoh as he goes out to the water and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go that they may serve me. Or else, if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants and your people and into your houses. And the house of the Egyptians shall be filled with swarms of, of flies and also on the ground on which they stand. But on that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen, where my people dwell, so that no swarms of flies shall be there, that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Thus I will put a division between my people and your people. Tomorrow the sign shall happen. And the Lord did so. There came great swarms of flies into the house of Pharaoh and into his servants' houses. Throughout all the land of Egypt, the land was ruined by swarms of flies. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Go sacrifice to your God within the land. But Moses said, It would not be right to do so, for the offerings we shall sacrifice to the Lord our God are an abomination to the Egyptians. If we sacrifice offerings abominable to the Egyptians before their eyes, will they not stone us? We must go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice the Lord our God as he tells us. So Pharaoh said, I will let you go to sacrifice the Lord your God in the wilderness. Only, you must not go very far. I've lost my place. Plead for me. Then Moses said, Behold, I am going out from you. And I will plead with the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people tomorrow. Only let not Pharaoh cheat again by letting the people go to sacrifice by not letting the people go to sacrifice the Lord. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord, and the Lord did as Moses asked, and removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people. Not one remained. But Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also, and did not let the people go. We're going to be uh, looking at that uh, in a bit more detail. Children are going off to their different groups, or one group in fact, uh, and uh, uh, May children. I don't know if Hannah needs reinforcements, but uh, ah, she's just she's Hannah, isn't she? She can cope. 
and I'm sorry, I'm going to croak at you just like those frogs because I've got this terrible cold and cough uh, that I think somewhere along the line someone else gave me from here. Generous church that we are. We spread our germs, uh, germs. but please don't come near me uh, because uh, I'm not your friend this evening and you might catch something. Well, let's start and we prayed. And let me ask this question as we start with, how can you discover that life is great? What's the secret to discovering a great life? And I want to suggest the answer is linked to the discovery of God is great. And only the Bible helps us to make that discovery, because if you get your information from anywhere else, then your view of God is likely to be down there at the bottom. And that's true wherever information comes from about God that is not from the Bible. So, for example, uh, a Muslim may cry out, Allahu Akbar. Uh, uh, well, is that the right word? Akbar, yes. Uh, read it properly. Uh, Muslims may cry out that, which, which actually literally means God is great, but the Quran doesn't give us any proof that God is great. Uh, is uh, just a, a statement that is empty by itself. But the Bible gives us passages of seven, uh, like Exodus chapter 7, which we looked at last week, all the way to chapter 12, which is this kind of section that we're looking at at the moment. And in those chapters is a lot of action from God to show us what his greatness looks like. And it tells us how there was a great man called Pharaoh who ruled over Egypt who came to see that God was even greater than Pharaoh. In fact, greater than he ever imagined. And my friends, as you and I sit here tonight, let me tell you the one thing that we need to start this new week is for our hearts, each of us, to be inflamed with uh, a sense of God's greatness and a confidence in that as we go out into a new week. Because I'm afraid that all of us live in a world that is a bit like Pharaoh, and therefore that can infect us as well. And tonight we're going to see that there are very modern ways in which Pharaoh denies the greatness of God in the way that people today deny the greatness of God. And so what we're going to see tonight is that that is what uh, uh, people do. Uh, they deny God's greatness. We'll see that in chapter 8. Then next week, if you come back, we look at chapter 9, and we're going to see that God is great over nature. And then the third week after that, we're going to see how God is great over people. Now, all these three different things you will see in each of those three chapters, but I've separated them like that because otherwise you'd end up in long sermons. But that last chapter, I think, is going to be interesting because it talks about how God hardens people's hearts. And that can be a little bit of a challenge to understand. And we see that God is great over people when we get there. But tonight, I want to look at chapter 8 and focus on three modern ways that Pharaoh uh, denied God's greatness 
the way that people do today. Now, I'm sorry, that, uh, we'll get to that little line in a minute. I didn't animate it. Uh, but let's start by this one thing, which is what Farah says. The way of denying God's greatness is to say, do not, God, impose your beliefs on me. Now, I know Farah uh, had uh, lived a long time ago, but he's actually a very modern Brit, if I can put it like that. Because he is someone who's okay with people believing in whatever God you want to believe in. He had his own advisors. He would say he was a spiritual man, and he had his own people who he could turn to when he needed help. And he's okay with Moses believing in his God, and he knows that Moses' God can do impressive things, and he has people who can do impressive things, his magicians. So therefore, well, it doesn't really matter who you follow, you just make your choice. Just Moses, don't let your God impose what he wants on me. I've got my own beliefs. That's Pharaoh. That's today's modern-day Brit. But actually, in verse 1, if you have a look, <coughs> God does tell Pharaoh how to live his life. He tells him, go into Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, let my people go, that they may serve me. In fact, he did that last week, if you remember, um, in uh, uh, chapter 7. In verse 2, he uh, said, uh, you shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of the land. So this God is great, and part of the way we recognize his greatness is to understand that he can tell us exactly <coughs> what we are to do. And therefore, let me give you a little practical, very simple question that will help you to work out if you think God is great or not. Here's the little test question that will reveal whether you really think God is great. And the question is this. Does God have a right to tell you how to live? Does God have a right to tell you how to live. Whether you say yes to that or no to that will give you a simple idea, a meter reading of how great you think the God of the Bible is. Or are you someone like Pharaoh who says, you're not going to impose your beliefs on me. I have my own. That's one way in which we deny God today in exactly the same way that Pharaoh did. Here's the second way. I listen to God up to a point. In other words, what Pharaoh is really saying is, uh, look, uh, I'm going to do a deal with God about obedience. And so in verse 28 of Exodus chapter 8, he says, okay, um, uh, if you want to leave Egypt, uh, that's fine. Uh, you can go. You can take the weekend off, but back to work on Monday. 
that's I think more or less what he says in uh, verse uh, 28 Pharaoh said I'll let you go to sacrifice the Lord your God in the wilderness only you must not go very far away and you've got to be within reach of coming back to work again because remember you are my slaves and he does that again in uh, chapter 10 and in verses 8 to 11 uh, he more or less uh, puts the same conditions down uh, he says effectively uh, okay men uh, you can go but leave the kids as a deposit so I know you're going to come back chapter 10 verse 8 um, uh, so Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh and he said go serve the Lord your God but which ones are to go? Moses said we will all go with our young and our old we will go with our sons and daughters with our flocks and herds for we must hold a feast of the Lord but Pharaoh said to them the Lord be with you if ever I let you and your little ones go Look, you have some evil purpose in mind. Go, the men among you, and serve the Lord, for that is what you're asking. And then he drove them out of the, his presence. And again, you see that in chapter 10, and he does the same thing again in verse 24. He says, okay, okay, you can go, I just want your cattle. So in chapter 10, verse 24, then Pharaoh called Moses and said, go serve the Lord, your little ones may also go with you. Only let your flocks and your herds remain behind and that's very modern isn't it because we come close to that today when we say okay God uh, we'll uh, see things your way but there are limits and God you and me are going to get on just fine as long as you are not too demanding if you like it's a belief system that barters with God and uh, says okay um, let's go halfway as Hannah did in her children's slot. So today I had a lady who told me uh, when we visited her this afternoon, uh, I believe in the man upstairs and I ask for his help. But that's as far as it goes. So yes, I believe and I'll choose. That's where uh, the connection ends. And I think actually we can do that in deeper levels too. We can come close to that in the way that we think about in our modern day Britain with sex and with money. I'll come to church as long as you don't limit my sex life. I'll make my own decisions about that. That's a private matter for me, not for you. So God, uh, that's freedom that I'm going to have. I'll make up my own mind as to what to do. And we can do that in church, can't we? I think particularly in this area of money, I'm not saying that our church ever mentions money, we don't even have affection, but it is an area, an indicator, I think, of how much we trust God, because the Bible tells us that uh, God is amazingly generous. And one of the ways we can trust his generosity, his greatness in that area, is in the way that we give. In fact, the Bible uh, leaves down a recommendation of 10% of our income. Um, and uh, uh, people generally try and uh, meet that. But it's income that we set aside for other people rather than just spending it on ourselves. And so what we do is to reflect the generosity of God. That's essentially what the Bible wants us to do in that area, in that way. But isn't it easy to say, look, I, I think I'll do other things for God, but don't expect me to do that for him. 
So we set limits on how far we want to listen and how far we want to go with our obedience. We do deals with obedience with God that ultimately show us that we deny his greatness. And we do it in that way as well. So first, uh, I listened to God up to a point and I forgot to give you the Bible references and uh, there they are. But the third way we deny uh, the greatness of God is to say, but there are other explanations, you know, that we need to consider. Uh, rather just think that it's God who's great all the time. So in verse 7, you see Pharaoh turning to his magicians and saying, well, actually, they can do the same thing. Just watch. And so in chapter 8, verse 7, the magicians did the same by their secret arts and made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. And we saw Pharaoh uh, looking to his own team of experts last week too in chapter 7 and verse 11. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. They turned their staffs into snakes. And again, he did that also in uh, verse 22 of chapter um, 7 when the water was turned into blood and then the magicians of Egypt in verse 22 chapter 7 did the same by their secret hearts and so Pharaoh's heart remained hardened and he wouldn't listen to them just as the Lord had said you see what it is if the implications are that there are other explanations for the so-called acts of God then God's not that unique is he you don't need to give him the pedestal uh, uh, top position of uh, being great. And I think again, you see, we can put other people on the same level with God. I think we can actually do that in two ways, if you're religious or maybe if you're a complete atheist. I think if you're a religious person, it is easy, isn't it, to say that actually uh, all uh, religions uh, are pretty much the same way. All religions deliver the same goods. There's not a lot to choose from between the frogs that Pharaoh's uh, experts produce and the frogs that Moses uh, produces. And so, who's to choose? And again, this afternoon we visited someone uh, who uh, was, I think, a uh, as a relaxed Muslim and he said well actually no, I think God is one I think everybody thinks the same thing uh, it's all pretty much the same so I think we can do that in the religious uh, arena and I think the secular people of Britain can do that and I think it comes out and breaks the surface in the way people look at science and they say well actually um, if our scientists can create life in the lab, well, God isn't that special really, is he? Because all these things that you say God does, well, science will have an explanation and they'll be able to do it too. You don't need to just go down the line that God is great when there are other explanations <laughs> to consider. The trouble is that when we put other people on the same level as God and say that it's all the same, generally what happens is we find that what it, the, the, the substitutes we put in God's place usually end up making life worse. 
So what happens in Egypt is that you end up with more snakes, more blood, more frogs. The magicians can't take away danger, they can't save Egypt. They just add to the problems. And it's true, isn't it, when you look and say, well, okay, what are the other religions that go on at the same level as God when we make those claims? Generally what you find is that human religion actually can be really quite aggressive. And you find that in the area of science too, where the god of science reigns without any checks from uh, what uh, God may say in the Bible, you end up aborting babies and killing the elderly, because science can do that. And why not? If it makes sense. And so what happens is you get up with a, end up with a worse world rather than a, a better one, rather than a safe one. And that's what happens when we uh, put other things on the level with God and we don't see his greatness uh, in uh, the way that the Bible wants us to. So let me try and uh, uh, make that uh, um, uh, come home in perhaps three ways. Three take-homes today. And I would want to suggest that there might be three different people who might want to take different lessons from what we've been looking at tonight. First, I suppose if you are someone who's uh, completely new to the Bible and new to Christian things, and you're kind of looking at things from the ground floor and you're starting from scratch, I want to suggest that one of the things that we might do uh, in the terms of, of God's greatness is to actually start at the very beginning and a great lesson if you're there tonight is to understand and let the Bible persuade you that God is greater than you've ever realized and the Bible wants to give you proof that this is really uh, what is true. Um, and, and one of the lovely ways the Bible proves uh, the goodness of God and the greatness of God is through the way he is able to keep people safe. Remember when Moses asked, every time he asked, God responds with safety. And one of the lovely things you see as the story of the Bible develops is that ex that's exactly what he did with Jesus. There we were in great danger, under the judgment of God, like Pharaoh was. But when we asked, when we asked God to keep us safe, God is able to act towards us in great love and mercy and to put aside his judgment. That's a wonderful way to discover the greatness of God. Yes, Pharaoh sadly kept pushing back and uh, wanting to resist. But let me tell you, if you look at the Bible story and keep going, there was actually another greater <coughs> ruler, his name was Nebuchadnezzar, who was ruler of Babylon, and he was actually a ruler a bit like Pharaoh, but he humbled himself. He didn't harden his heart the way Pharaoh did. And he discovered the great goodness and the mercy of God, and that's a great discovery to make. And I'd love you, if you're beginning the Christian life, to come into understanding that there is a great God, 
who we can't just simply treat as another option that people might choose if they happen to like him. No, he's far too great for that. This is the only one that we can respond to. And if we live in the light of his greatness and turn to him and talk to him in honesty, wanting him to show his greatness to us, then one of the ways we can ask him to do that is by keeping us safe from his judgment. And that would be a great prayer for you to make tonight as you talk to him. It may be that if you've been to church uh, before and you're kind of used to church and it's part of your system a little bit perhaps where you've grown up going to church, then may I suggest it might be that we've moved on a little bit. And so we're, we're kind of somewhere in the middle. That is, we know that there is a God and we know certain things about him and how we should re respond to him. But underneath the surface, we are seeking to cut deals with him. Yes, we we'll, we'll let him have church time on Sundays, but how we manage <coughs> our lives on Mondays, our relationships, our money, our day-to-day -day decisions, so easy to set limits on how far we let God go. And that's a common trap, and I find myself falling into that as well. And it may be that tonight, this is God's way of saying, be honest, this might be you. And talk to him in real honesty and humility, saying, God, I need your help. This is too close for comfort. Or it may be that you're a believer and you know the greatness of God and you want other people to know the greatness of God. We are a church that exists to help other people to become Christians. We started off two years ago with that one ambition in mind. So what would God say to a church like us through this passage? Here's the one thing God would say. Be prepared for setbacks. If you look at verse 12, you might uh, see that uh, uh, Moses and Aaron would have been very, very happy with Pharaoh. Uh, they're just uh, told, uh, uh, been told by Pharaoh uh, that uh, he was going to give them what they wanted. So Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, and Moses cried to the Lord about the frogs as he had agreed with Pharaoh. So Pharaoh had said, look, Moses, you are right, I'm wrong, and I think your God is great, and I want you to pray to your God for me. And Moses and Aaron would have thought, ah, this is the breakthrough we were waiting for. What a wonderful day today is. And then what happens? That's followed by verse 15. And verse 15 tells you that when Pharaoh saw there was a respite, he hardened his heart and he would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. And you see that at the end of the chapter as well. Pharaoh says, uh, look, I will let you go uh, to uh, the wilderness. And, um, and so Moses goes out uh, from Pharaoh in verse 30 and he prays to the Lord. And the Lord did as Moses asked. You see, such a rescuing God he did. And he removed the swarms and flies from Pharaoh, from his servants, his people. And then Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also. You see, there's this wonderful high point 
of a breakthrough in verse 12 and then this enormous setback in verse 15. There's this amazing promise at the end of the chapter in verse 28 with the crushing sense of rejection when you get to verse 32. And my friends, what God is telling us, the church, through passages like this, is that we need to understand that we are going to have the same setbacks as we go out and persuade an estate of pharaohs. And so often, the joy of acceptance can come to us um, and then quickly be followed by the choking sadness of rejection. My friends, what is really important for you and me for, uh, for us to know from this is that this is ministry. It is not the failure of ministry. This is ministry. Why do we keep doing it? Because as you can see as the chapters go on, there is a God who will continue to show his greatness to people even when they try to reject him. And he will reveal his greatness in new ways and will underline your message to them that God is great so that they won't be able to draw a line through what you say as easily as they would like. So don't lose heart. Don't give up. Realistically, there will be a setback. But more realistically and gloriously, there is a God who is great. And he will carry on revealing that to people, even through their rejection. But let's pray that God will help us to trust that and to uh, work in the light of that. Let's pray together. I just wonder whether it might be an idea of doing what we normally do, which is to allow a minute of quiet where you pray to God personally, quietly. And maybe if you're someone who is near Christian things, you would want to ask God tonight to ask him to show you his greatness and especially his greatness in having mercy on you and for the times that you've had a fairer past but want a new future listening to him if you're someone who's new why did you make that your prayer if you're someone who's been to church lots it may be that God has put his finger on the way that we can try and do deals with him and limit the extent of his influence. Or it may be that if you're someone who's suffered setbacks and you've felt them keenly, here's a chance to say, Lord, please help me to keep going. The moment of quiet, whatever you want to say to God, you say to God in the privacy of your own heart.
So, Heavenly Father, we do want to thank you for your word to us tonight. Thank you that through events that took place long ago, you show us what modern unbelief and the denial of you and your glory can look like. And we pray that in your goodness, across our estate, you will draw people to call on you, to reveal your glory to them, particularly in the safety that they seek through the Lord Jesus Christ and a place in his kingdom. And we pray that you would please help us, Father, to uh, not try and cut deals with you. We're sorry that we do that. But please help us to be fully obedient rather than to uh, say, only so far, and then we do our own thing. And uh, finally, do we want to pray, Lord, that you would please help us to persevere when we have Pharaoh-like responses of acceptance, quickly followed by rejection. Please help us to see that is not a failure of ministry, it is ministry. And please help us to continue trusting that you will reveal your goodness, whatever people might try to do in denial. And we pray that for the glory of your great name. Amen.